And the enemy has a plan for your marriage. And so if you don't make a plan with the Lord, the enemy will. Well, that's what we talked about too, that Satan didn't even show up until Adam and Eve were married. Yep. Spiritual warfare doesn't even begin uh, until after the wedding and then comes the war. Well, howdy y'all, Pastor Mark here, welcoming you back to the Real Marriage Podcast. If you don't know, we got a brand new book, my wife Grace and I, uh, it's called Real Romance, and it's on sex in the Song of Songs. And uh, hey, if you're not having sex, uh, we want to help. If you're having sex, we want you to have more and better sex. And if you're doing really great, congratulations, you're officially a unicorn. The book is now available, and you can find all the details at realromancebook.com. And on today's episode, we'll be delving into the Song of Songs, the Real Romance Marriage Book and try to help you spice up your love life, my friend. Talked about uh, in a previous episode in Genesis, initially there was one man and one woman. And so God didn't give us a standard of beauty. He gave us a spouse. It's not like Adam could compare Eve to all the other women. Exactly. Or Eve can compare Adam to all of the other men. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have a standard of beauty. You have a spouse and your spouse is your standard That's of beauty. Right. That's where he says in Job 31.1, I made a covenant with my eyes not to mm-hmm. look upon someone lustfully. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says that a leader needs to be a one-woman man. Mm-hmm. All of that is to say, if your spouse is your standard of beauty, you can say there is no flaw in you because you're not comparing them to someone else. And what this means is, as you get older, your standard of beauty shifts to whatever age your spouse right. is. So when we first <laughs> met, you were very attracted to a guy that had thick, lush fangs. <laughs> and now, that's not your standard of beauty. <laughs> Uh, you've graduated. Yes. Yes, my bangs have gone home to be with the Lord. I miss my bangs, by the way. Uh, So what builds a marriage, compliments and then counsel. So what Mm. keeps happening through the course of the book is that the friends... Yeah, they speak in. They speak in. And it's family, friends, what we would call wise counsel. What's the difference between wise counsel and just leaking or venting or an unholy alliance or bringing your family into your relationship? Wise counsel is always going to point you back to Jesus and what's best for your marriage, not just listening and then agreeing because they want to have a friend. Mm-hmm. And so you and I, we have people that we consider wise counsel, but we agree on who that is. Yes. So I have line item veto, as do you. Mm-hmm. If I had a guy that I was going to confide in or talk with, you're like, I don't trust him. Then he's not wise counsel. Similarly, if you had a gal that you were going to talk to, but I didn't trust him. I would have line item veto. That's we right. we need to agree on who the wise counsel is. Otherwise, those people can cause even more division in yes. your relationship. Mm-hmm. And the worst thing you can do is if you don't have wise counsel, then when a problem happens, and it will in marriage, mm-hmm. or you need advice, which you will, you either leak or vent, and whoever's in front of you gets invited into the situation, which is usually not good, and or you just invite your family. Mm-hmm. And usually your family is not helpful. No, especially with sexual issues. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I can't think of a worse idea. Yeah. Calling your family and bringing them into your bedroom. No. Yeah, don't do that. And if you have, repent immediately and change your number. And wise counsel needs to have, if it's dealing with marriage, they need to have a good marriage. So for us, we have couples that we talk to as well. Yeah. And we agree, these would be people that we would seek advice or counsel from. So here's what, I want to sort of pivot the conversation a little bit, sweetheart. And up until this point, they've had this passionate, romantic, poetic, epic relationship, incredible wedding. I mean, national holiday. Big deal. uh, Perfect honeymoon, perfect first night together. 
And then you look down the road and this guy ends up with 700 wives and 300 concubines. So it begins seemingly perfectly and then it ends catastrophically. And it's like, how do you go from the best possible scenario to the worst conceivable conclusion? And so um, what's really curious is there's a lot of marriages like that. They start well and then they end poorly. And, um, and Solomon himself, he didn't learn from the error of his parents. So his father, David, was up on the roof, sees a gal named Bathsheba taking a bath. He lusts after her. He sleeps with her. He impregnates her. Her husband is off at war defending the king and the kingdom. So he devises a murder attempt and has the guy killed. So he murders the innocent husband to uh, steal the wife that he committed adultery with and impregnated. And that is uh, Solomon's mom and dad. So the only reason that he was even born was because of adultery and murder. And he doesn't repent of his own sexual sin. And he carries forth the pains and problems of his family. Maybe talk about that, honey, how sometimes we come from a broken family line or dysfunction and we experience the pain of it and then we continue it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we all have issues. And if we think we don't, then we're just wrong. We have big but, issues if we yeah, don't think we, we have issues. Yeah, then we have bigger issues because yeah. we're in denial. But we all have issues. We come into marriage with issues. We start our life with issues, whether they're big or small. And if we don't deal with those issues at a heart level, like at the root of where the issue came from, whether it's our sin or someone sinning against us, then we carry that on. And we will harm other people with the hurt that we don't haven't allowed God to heal yet. And it's very damaging. And I did that for a while because I brought some of my pain in that I hadn't healed from. And, and it caused a lot of damage in the first you know 10 plus years of our marriage. And, and we didn't know what was underneath all of it. And finally, when God exposed that, then we started to heal. But it, it was really hard because we already had kids by then and um, a lot of variables. And so, yeah, we just encourage you that we all have stuff. And if there's stuff that you feel stuck in, seek wise counsel, maybe go to a Christian counselor if it needs to be. We've, we've done that off and on through our marriage just to get unstuck in some ways. And it's super helpful. If you want to continue to have a healthy marriage, sometimes we need to do that. Yeah, and somewhere along the way, they stopped seeking wise counsel. Mm -hmm. Somewhere along the way, they stopped pursuing one another. Yeah. And somewhere along the way, they lost sight of God altogether. And mm -hmm. so... Um, Solomon, by the time that, you know, his uh, rulership has come into full force, uh, he's richer than Bill Gates. He's smarter than Albert Einstein. He's more powerful than the United States president. He's more influential than the Pope. And he's got a harem that's bigger than Hugh Hefner. Yeah. I mean, the guy had no limits and, and he pursued everything. So a couple of things we want to share is, number one, that the last day of marriage is more important than the first day of marriage. Mm -hmm. And a lot of couples, they see their wedding as a finish line. It's really a starting line. And what we tend to have is a lot of very detailed plans for the first day and very few detailed plans for the last day. And so if you ask a couple, they're like, we've got whole registries and there's an entire industry for the wedding day. Yes. You need to be more devoted to the last day because the most important day of your marriage is the last day. Their first day was amazing their last day was horrifying. Mm -hmm. And the enemy has a plan for their marriage. And so if you don't make a plan with the Lord, the enemy will. Well, that's what we talked his. about too, that Satan didn't even show up until Adam and Eve mm -hmm. were married. Yep. Spiritual warfare doesn't even begin uh, until after the wedding and then comes the war. Mm -hmm. 
In addition, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. A lot of those were political alliances. You would marry, you know, the daughter of a king, and then that would unify the kingdoms. But in our day, I mean, you can amass a harem that quickly in 30 seconds on your phone. And so we can look at Solomon and we can say, oh, I can't believe that he did that. Let's just be honest. uh, It's a lot easier for us to amass a harem than it was even for him. Yeah, physical and mental monogamy is key in marriage. It's crucial because usually it's adultery of the heart, to quote Jesus, before it's adultery of the hands. Mm -hmm. And somehow along the way, they started drifting from each other in the Lord and they didn't course correct. And so the longer you wait, the worse it gets. And sometimes in marriage, We just tend to think, well, we'll just wait and see what happens. Well, nothing good will happen Mm -hmm. if you don't get the wise counsel and the help that you need. And and the thing, too, is that your marriage is making decisions for generations. Mm -hmm. And so the kids, just think of all the kids that were born. I mean, if you've got one guy and 700 wives and 300 concubines. Yeah, wow. (laughs) What happens to all of, I mean, you talk about, you talk about broken family. Absolutely. Absolutely. Generations Generations of Mm -hmm. catastrophe. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, if you wait, if you walk away from God, you're capable of horrific evil. Mm-hmm. And most of us tend to think, well, I'll just drift from my spouse or the Lord. And the truth is, the further and longer we drift from our spouse and the Lord, the things that we can do are mm-hmm. they're horrifying. Yeah, Solomon was counting on his own wisdom instead of the wisdom that was connected to the Lord. Well, he's called the wisest man after Jesus Christ in the Bible, and he had a lot of wisdom, but he didn't have a lot of obedience. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there are people that have a lot of information, but because they lack obedience, they don't have transformation. Like, I mean, I could still remember um, one of the first classes I ever took on marriage. uh, The guy co-authored a really great book for men on marriage, and he was sleeping with one of the gals that was taking the class that I was in. And so, you know, it's it's not enough, as James says, to merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. You got to do what it says. Mm-hmm. And so somehow Solomon is writing books of the Bible and not obeying the books of the Bible. Yeah, which is a huge example to us. That's why it's in there. Yeah, and so even for those who maybe are giving us the honor of teaching, it's it's not, ju- don't even, you know, come to this series and say, oh, I learned some things. No, you need to do some things. Yeah, exactly. You need to do some things. And so as we read uh, in the Old Testament of Solomon's life, um, by the end, it says that his, uh, his wives turned his heart from the Lord. That's mm-hmm. exactly what it says. I think it's in 1 Kings 11, if memory serves me correct. And it mentions some specific uh, demon gods, uh, demons that are leading religions and pretending to be gods uh, that he worships. Astra, which was the Canaanite goddess of sex. Mm-hmm. They had astra poles that were phallic symbols, and people would literally see them up on the high places, and they would go there to have adultery and sex. It was their version of the pride parade. Mm-hmm. You know, no rules and everything goes. Yeah. Uh, Milcom was the Ammonite chief god. Chemosh was the Moabite god that practiced child sacrifice. Along with Molech. And Molech was a demon god that required child sacrifice by fire. So these are all counterfeits of you know, God the Father sends God the Son. This is the demonic counterfeit mm-hmm. where you worship a demon and you sacrifice your own child. These are the same demons that run the abortion industry and Planned Parenthood and, uh, and, and just sort of encourages lots of sexual sin without any of the consequences of birthing and raising a child. And so what he's doing is he is participating in this. He's taking the wealth that God has given him to create these cults, to create these high places 
and to fund these activities, and his wives are leading them. Mm. And, and, and we're, we're of the age now that we have seen people who we thought knew the Lord, and they have wandered from the Lord and their spouse, and the things that they're saying and doing, we could have never mm. conceived of. Um, and justifying it, and sometimes even still claiming to be spiritual and doing it for the Lord. Um, and so the big idea is this. This is the most uh, important human relationship, but it's not the most important relationship. That okay. This is the most important relationship. And that, uh, and that your wedding day is important, but if you don't have this relationship, you're not going to have a good last day. Right. So um, I'll share a little bit statistically in closing, but maybe, honey, just from the woman's perspective, and I'll speak from the man's perspective, how vital and crucial is it that for marriage to work, your relationship with God has to be healthy and primary? Well, it's that's where we get our wisdom. That's where we get our love from the Lord. So when we don't, when we wake up and don't feel like loving our spouse, we can ask the Lord to give us love for our spouse. When we're fighting and we need to understand forgiveness and repentance, that comes from the Lord. He teaches us how to do that. The Holy Spirit convicts us. I mean, we're not connected to the Lord. We're not connected. To, we don't have any of the tools that we need to be a loving, repentant, kind, forbearing, patient, whatever spouse that we need to be. So it's absolutely essential. And uh, statistically for men, it is crucial. And so there are certain researchers. One of my favorite is Bradford Wilcox. He's at the University of Virginia. He did the largest data survey on men, masculinity, marriage, sexuality, and family in the history of our country. Mm-hmm. He himself, I think, is Catholic, but he came to the conclusion that the best husbands and fathers are evangelical, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, church-attending, song-singing, prayer-uttering mm-hmm. men. That, got it. <laughs> that the one thing that changes a man more than anything is coming under the authority of God. Because most men are fiercely independent. They, they need to learn dependence on God. They tend to see themselves as their highest authority. They need to come under God's authority. And so what, what he discovered, and what all of the other data has proven that I've seen sociologically, is that the lowest domestic violence are between mm-hmm. two people who practice Christian faith Uh, The lowest uh, divorce, the lowest adultery is between people who practice Christian faith. The highest pleasure. The highest pleasure, the most frequent sexuality, and the highest marital satisfaction and sexual Mm -hmm. enjoyment scores are by Christians. Makes sense. Makes sense. And so God's way is still the best way, and the data proves it out. And the the highest divorce rate is two people who practice different religions. Mm. Can you imagine if, if if I was Muslim and you were Christian or you were Buddhist and mm. I was Jesus? I mean, I couldn't, I don't know what, what we would do because you'd have the Holy Spirit and a demon in the marriage and light and darkness, good and evil don't reconcile and a house divided against itself can't stand, Jesus says. Mm. And so the moral of the story is somewhere along the way, they lost their, or at least he lost his connection to the Lord, didn't walk faithfully with the Lord, and it obliterated his marriage and family. And so as men, this is our responsibility to lovingly, as head of household, um, lead our families. He no longer believed in one man, one woman, the marriage covenant. No, he no longer even agreed with God's definition of marriage and healthy sexuality. And so, you know, our admonition would be for the husband and the wife, Repent of your sin, trust in Jesus, attend church together, read the Bible together, pray together, serve God together, 
uh, because ultimately it's the Lord that makes a marriage possible. Mm -hmm. And apart from the Lord, no matter how great you begin, no matter how much money you make, no matter how smart you are, Mm -hmm. eventually you're going to destroy your own marriage and family. And so uh, you want to maybe tell them what the assignment is for date night. Uh, Here's the one assignment we have for you. Yes. In a private conversation. So remember the private garden (laughs) Um, with your phones off, no looking at your phones, looking at one another. So the face to face with a lot of love and grace, have a healthy conversation where you take time to compliment one another in every area that you can. There's something in both of you that you can compliment. And even if it's only one thing for right now, that's okay. Start there and keep highlighting it. Um, Some examples would be spiritual growth, physical attraction, emotional connection, sexual pleasure, physical beauty. We saw a lot of this between them in this section of scripture. Um, Acts of service, generosity, sense of humor, those kinds of things. Find something, a few things that you can highlight in their life and truly compliment them in. So no criticisms, only compliments, and then close in prayer. And then ladies, receive the compliments. Don't say, oh, well, but yeah, this is bad and I need to work on it. Just take the compliment and soak it in and say thank you. And men, don't add to the compliment. (laughs) (laughs) Here's some other things you missed, baby. (laughs) 